Chapter 4. The Necromancer The boy was inexperienced, but well enough trained with a sword. They had broken from their writing, and Oliver proposed they spar to test the boy's capabilities. He moved with a natural fluidity, even if a bit clumsy. More impressive, Liam did not once blame his mistakes on the days in the saddle, though he was a novice at riding and surely sore. Of course, Liam wasn't adept enough to beat Oliver, but the older man found that he had underestimated the boy. Oliver had spent his long life mastering as much weaponry and combat as possible, learning to work the forms around his leg pain. At first, it had felt pointless, darting around his spacious upper room, waving a sword or axe at the sprawling stacks of books. It slowly came more natural, though Liam was the first person in a long time with which Oliver clashed weapons. The ringing of steel sounded refreshing, but he already missed his books. With the war came the looting. They raided the markets and electronic stores, the people desperate and delusional, thinking that things would soon be over and return to normal. They did little to prepare themselves. The chaos had fed them, catalytic to their own pandemonium. Other towns had it worse. Rumor had it that little of Detroit was left for the war to demolish. Jacob had leveled it all the same. While the people of his California town had busied themselves in the sacking, Oliver had to break the glass windows of the bookstores himself. Had he the time, he might have set fire to the religious sections, having been angry with God in those days. Instead, he loaded a stolen moving truck. Just like the moving truck, no one would miss the books. He had tried not to grab at random, but time only afforded him so much delineation. So he hoped that he took what he would need to preserve himself and anything that remained of society. He hoped he collected the words that would rebuild the world if the city failed. Small business, urban survival, culinary arts, and agriculture, medicine, zimmergy, weaponry, combat, the classics, engineering, there were jars and bags of other things he hoped would ensure his survival. Seeds, precious metal, and two hard drives that both held the entirety of Wikipedia, music from Bach to the Beatles, and another library, this one digital. If one hard drive hadn't survived, hopefully the other still functioned, though there wouldn't likely to be anything to which to connect it to in his lifetime. It had cost him everything to preserve it during the war and eventually moved to Avian. With two days of travel ahead of them, Oliver took the opportunity to teach the boy. He taught him how to load, aim, and fire a gun, though they could not spare the ammunition, and there was only so much to be learned from dry firing. There was more, too much to remember, like he was teaching the boy to pack for a long trip, and neither of them knew where he was going. It was easier and safer to run from bandits, then to fight them. Ends with electricity were more expensive. The shelter teachers of the city could only have instructed them so much, though the boy spoke affectionately of two of them. They rode with less haste than they should have, but the afternoon sun had taken the energy out of Oliver. He thought, and not for the first time, that the complexion he inherited from his Irish ancestors wasn't doing him any favors. Sweat might have beaded his brow, had it not evaporated so fast, he took a drink from his canteen. 
Whenever Oliver drank, Liam did likewise, perhaps trying to gauge how often it was wise to take water in order to stay hydrated, but also ration his water. Most just think the prophet's holding mad, Liam said. He was my grandfather, though, and I believe him. Master Ferris believes him, too. He taught me most of what I know. There are books and videos if anyone cared to dig them up, but Ferris knew it all. He taught his history all about the war, and he trained me with the sword. He said I was a natural. Did he? Oliver asked. You are good with the sword, but don't get cocky just because an old cripple like me said so. Liam would have to learn caution over confidence, which he hopefully would not have to learn the hard way. They rode in silence a while before Oliver asked Liam of his family. Since we descended from the prophet, we're held in high esteem, but not that much is expected from us. Supposedly, my family's job is to keep up the prophet's line, but for what, I don't know, and they don't seem to care enough to find out. They're young enough that if something happens to me out here, they can always have another child, not that I think they'd want that burden. They don't care for you. Oliver realized that the camels had slowed and ushered his to pick up the pace. Liam followed his example. I don't know, Liam replied. I knew they didn't want kids. As soon as I was born, both of them underwent the sterilizing process. They said it was for the tax incentive, but it was like they didn't even want me another inconvenience. When it was announced that I was leaving, they showed the usual indifference, but on the day they left, my mother... Wealth and comfort had rendered the people of Novum apathetic. The dust had settled, and now they acted as if they were never in danger. And now that problems faced them again, they believed that if they ignored it, it would go away. Perhaps the boy's mother was the first to realize a terrible reality. They stopped again after two hours, too soon, but riding bothered Oliver's leg. Stiffly, he let himself down from the saddle. They watered and fed the camels. Liam still appearing reluctant to warm up to Lucy. Oliver's camel, who Nate the seller had called Herman, had already grown accustomed to him. He scratched it on its slender neck. Four animals trotted in the distance, cackling as they scampered along the desert, mangy and razor-backed. Hyenas? asked Liam. Of a sort, answered Oliver. The locals call them crocata. Based on an old African myth and the hyena's Latin name, devilish creatures, and quite unlike their extinct cousins, these are no scavengers. They're aggressive and fiercely smart, a product of the cloning revolution. You probably know about that. I'm sure the city's food supply still depends on it. In the case of those monsters, when scientists started breeding extinct animals, the Pachycrocata was conceived not in its prehistoric form, but modified for sport hunting. Big game hunters wanted something smart, something vicious that few would see the need to preserve. Suffice to say, it wasn't a popular decision, but some geneticists went ahead with the project. They're nasty creatures. You'll want to avoid them at all costs. Even a scratch is a sure infection. Their bite is loaded with texture to toxin. A bad way to go. It, it causes paralysis, but the victim still feels pain. They were supposed to be sterile as a safety mechanism to either be hunted or die out. They sure as hell didn't die out. No one knew they'd be so resourceful, so resilient. But they survived. Oliver put a hand on the gun at his hip 
ready to fight or flee if necessary, but to his relief the Krakata clan wandered off. After a short snack of jerky, Oliver urged them to mount again and to continue riding south. Far from the shadow of the past, the hard-pan desert sand stretched before them, leading the faded blue sky at the horizon ever distant before the camels trotting. They endured the afternoon heat, and Liam appeared visibly relieved when the sun set and it started to cool. They rode into the night, stopping only at the point of exhaustion. They unsaddled, making a small camp. Along the ride, Oliver had taken the time to save camel dung. Liam obviously thought him out of his mind, but when they stopped for the night, Oliver gathered some brush. He showed the boy how to grind the dung down to a mealy texture, and then one match was all it took to get a fire going. Rather not you light a fire is up to you, he told Liam. This will keep away Krakata, but it may catch the attention of thieves. With the cool of night, they hunched near the flames, chewing on dried meats. You did well today. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. You made it through the ruins. You'll do just fine. Liam had protested more than once that he disliked their coming parting of ways. What if something happens and I can't find Dorian? Wouldn't two of us be safer? As I've said, Elijah wouldn't prophesy you to your death nor do so without ample time for you to find Dorian. Oliver did his best to sound sure. Prophecy had a funny way of coming about, but Liam needed reassurance. However, Oliver said, we must part because I get the impression that Jacob's arrival is imminent. We have to expedite this any way we can. We must be prepared. To amass an army, make plans, preempt whatever it is he's planning, I know you don't like it. Dorian wouldn't either. He always preferred us all together like something terrible might happen should we separate, but it has to be so. (sighs) Oliver sighed, empathizing with the boy's anxiety. Already he had grown up too fast on the cusp of manhood, fearful and excited with unrefined bravery. He would exceed his peers in Novum, finer and stronger than their pampered men and women. With that in mind, Oliver changed the subject, distracting the boy from his angst. You said they carry swords in this city. The wealthy do. Fareth said that it's a status symbol. The gun you gave me is the first I've ever seen in real life, but not 50 years after Novum closes doors, there were political assassinations. Swords hadn't been outlawed like the guns. No one thought to ban them. And so those who might have made laws against them were the first to bear them, and now it's Common for those who can afford it. So the great sanctuary of divine peace had assassinations. That led to more questions than answers, but he somehow suspected that Liam had said as much as he knew. Do you miss the city? He asked. I miss my grandfather. Miss Ferreth and Standen and Perry too. My parents, I don't know. I mean, the city itself, the amenities you had there. As I prepare to leave... I started to kind of hate the place. Maybe it's because this is all so new, but I actually like it out here so far. In the city, the sunlight comes in, but it's it's not enough. There's some artificial light, but it's stale, just like the air. Here, the, the air and water are fresh, and the sun feels so real. And out here in the desert, I can say whatever I want. What do you mean? Asked Oliver. I don't know. I guess it's just... That if you say anything that people don't like, 
they just resent you instead of even considering it. Everything the prophet has said has come true, and I guess that means there's a God, but Novum, you have to follow their God the way they want you to follow God, and they, they don't even want that question. Sometimes I wonder if God even cares about us. Oliver looked to the boy with a raised eyebrow. Deep words for a 17-year-old. I once asked Dorian the same thing. What did he say? Nothing very satisfying. You can ask him when you meet him. Even after, for 200 years of pondering that mystery, Oliver had no inclination to tell the boy what he thought. What about you? Is there anything you missed from before the war? Everything. This way of life has shown me how very materialistic people can become. To me, my family, my house, my job, they were everything. Disasters always happen anywhere but where I lived, never in my country. Even the earthquakes in my region were never too bad. Then it came. I learned that what I had thought of as moderation was really excess. What I had called necessity was amenity. I've grown to appreciate the simple things. There's less work and less to worry about, though things are changing now. What happened to your family? asked Liam. His wife, Avianne, her smile, those eyes, the memory never quite in focus. He might stare at her faded picture for hours, and still the details of her effigy escaped his memory. His children, Amy and Aaron, Yes, that had been their names. Their faces escaped him as well. Gone, Oliver replied. There was little talk after that. Not too long after they retired, tomorrow was Bronton. Little had changed since Oliver's last visit to Bronton. No wall guarded the rugged sandstone and wooden structures, bare and dusty in the afternoon sun. Their well was known to run deep, providing better irrigation than most towns. With their rich and path of land, they had managed to meet their basic food needs and even had a few trees. Oliver's fondness for the town came mostly from his recent discovery that a local farmer had a unique hop vine. He had purchased it from the farmer, but found it difficult to grow in the cooler shadows of the mountains in Avienne. However, the kettle bar and inn promised a brew made from those very hops and so he led them there. The owner was a kind man, known for asking few questions, so long as his guests were also inconspicuous. It was close to the town stable, so soon after finding accommodations for their camels, they saw to their own needs at the kettle. As they made their way there, residents bustled in the streets and Oliver guarded his pockets, warning Liam to do so as well. The denizens of Bronton wore a hodgepodge of light color shirts and trousers or robes, One person Oliver noticed had even procured sunglasses, an impressive feat in this barren world. Inside the quiet tavern, the bar sat mostly empty, and a few card players in the corner passed around a bottle of whatever it was that kept them in their merry state. Tom leaned against his bar, hand-rolled cigarette between his lips and a book in his palm. He noticed them, snapped his tome shut, and greeted them with a smile. Oliver knew him well enough to secure rooms and meals at a fair price, shortening the usual negotiation. After Liam and Oliver stored their packs in their rooms, they returned to the tavern and took two bar stools. 
It was our first time sitting at a bar together since that first night in Avian, but they looked like natural customers, side by side, elbows on its wooden counter. It's just been so long, Tom said, excited fingers tapping the spout, beer foaming into a mug. Wondered how things were up there in Avian. All is well, Oliver said, taking the pint from the man's wrinkled fingers. Finally got some help around there, he asked, nodding at Liam, giving the boy a pint of his own. Aye, said Oliver, going along with Tom's own assumptions. He took a large gulp from his beer and held it aloft, saluting Tom's brew. I've got a cellar that keeps it nice and cold, the barkeep said. As for your food, give me just a bit. I'll have it right out. Could you hold the meat? Liam asked. Oliver raised an eyebrow at the peculiar request, but Liam only shrugged. So Oliver returned to studying his beer. Its darker amber color was not quite as bitter as Oliver's own brews. Though Oliver preferred a more bitter beer, Tom's brew suited him just fine. Even if it was a bit sweet, it was also stronger. Over supper, he continued to direct and encourage Liam, whose worried quietness had overcome his usual inquisitiveness. You told me that this Ferreth of yours said he had every confidence in you. Well, I'll tell you the same. I have every confidence in you. The words seemed to mean a great deal. Though inclined to have some measure of faith in the prophet and Liam's apparent competence, Oliver feared they would only do so much good in light of the boys and experience. But Liam did not need to know Oliver's trepidations. He needed hope and support. This might have all been easier if people only believed the prophet, Liam said. It was no different back then, Oliver replied. When Elijah foresaw the coming of the fallen, it took little time for the factions to develop. There were those who didn't believe your grandfather. He was just a boy after all, and even after the fall, a surprising amount of folks refused to acknowledge that it had anything to do with any god. To complicate matters, these weren't simply angels. That's the best word we have for them. They were great and diverse celestial beings. Dorian himself had stewardship over an entire planet. The word angel is an approximation. Spirit made flesh, Liam said. Oliver nodded. Some listened to the prophet. Corporations seized the opportunity and built the city, doubtless looking to capitalize on the situation in any way they could. It was probably the only way such a technologically advanced metropolis could be built, but it also ostracized those who believed but hadn't the money to make the move. It was a big enough gamble as it was for those who had the money. Oliver drank deeply from his mug, his muscles relaxing under the alcohol's influence, the tension from the day's travel slowly softening in his shoulders. The known world was well established, he continued, to move to a distant land and on some leap of faith pay to live in Novum. Such, such a thing was unheard of. They terraformed the island, utilizing its resources for the city, but that didn't stop people from moving here. Many of the people here are remnants of those who waited too long, who made one last move to get away from the Greylands. Is that what's out there? I guess so. I was here before the major migration happened. A few leftover soldiers established what lives they could here. And then more started to come, bringing the last vestiges of mankind with them. 
Thankfully, they brought camels, though I can't say the same for the crocata. They weren't here all along. I'll never forget when that boat came to port, Oliver replied, shaking his head. I've seen a lot of war, but I've never seen something so bloody. We may have killed them before they made land, but we were too busy running for our lives. Four died that day on top of however many died on that boat. Once the Kakata deserted it, and we came back, there was no telling how many people had died. The body parts didn't add up. Too unintelligible. Oliver's stomach churned, remembering the look of horror on what was left of their faces. He took another sip of his beer, wanting nothing more than to drink away that memory. But he would need his wits about him. How did Jacob get so far? How come you couldn't stop him? Isn't Dorian more powerful? One-on-one, Dorian might be able to take Jacob, but Jacob was more a charismatic leader and faster to act. He played on the fears of the people. By the time Dorian might have countered his influence, it was too late. Jacob worked his ruin. Dorian tried to stop him, and in the end, just these two islands survive. Though who knows if anyone lives on the southern island. But Jacob's tenacity wasn't all. There were the abominations. Abominations? Undead things. Zombies? <laughs> Oliver chuckled. Who <laughs> knew, right? I guess that's as good a word for them as anything. Although zombies are said to be contagious, and these were simply beings raised from the dead by Raven's methods. But they couldn't be controlled. They just attacked and killed all on sight. They talked at length. Another round of beers, relaxing their conversation. Apparently, those in the city had a little appreciation for classic rock or movies, but Liam knew his books well enough. However, it was surprising what had survived the war. Oliver's eyes grew wide when he learned of the thousands of religious texts that the city had banned. He should have guessed, the world's understanding of God having changed after the fall. But no Inferno, no John Calvin. Sterile renditions had been contrived in their place, mere bookmarks in the place of history. Surprisingly, they allowed C.S. Lewis, at least Tolkien, managed to slip in. Most of the old music, Liam said, is archived, readily accessible. A few people collect vinyls, but they're expensive and so are the machines that play them. You ever listen to any older music? I don't like music. Oliver raised an eyebrow. And why is that? It's only for entertainment. It doesn't have any real value. The people who listen to music are the same people going to parties and balls. People like my parents. Then you haven't heard good music. Had you only taken some time in those archives of yours, I'd bet you'd find that music quite different from the aristocratic pop those people listen to. Against his better judgment, Oliver allowed one more beer, welcoming the ease that it brought him. Afterward, he assigned the boy to a bath and bed, He gave Liam the extra key and told him to lock the door. Oliver went back down to the tavern. There was work yet. Lights burned low at the now quiet bar. Tom, with his usual hand, rolled cigarette and his book. A pint for you, Ollie? he asked, looking up from the pages of a worn paperback. Oliver never did like the nickname, but rumor of his proper name would not do in the Outlands. He'd been next in command under Dorian and the other angels. 
On Jacob's side, Solomon served as the highest ranking mortal. Unlike Solomon, Oliver survived the war and lived on, but no one needed to know that just yet. Yes, replied Oliver. A pint, if you will, and a question. Tom rose from his stool, dog-earing and discarding his book. He hobbled over to the tap, taking a mug and filling it with beer. And what would that be? Tom asked as the mug foamed to the top. There is a rumor of a city in the east. A garden city. Just rumors? Tom said, shaking his head as he sat the beer before Oliver. I would agree, save for the strange folk who travel from those parts. Surely you've seen them? Maybe around town? I suppose I have seen such folk. I reckon some sort of city out east does exist. But there's all sorts of crazy religious types in the desert. Nothing I'd say is worth bothering with. People around here know better to get tangled up in... People around here know better than to get tangled up in religion. Our town priest is more a beggar than a holy man. Still, persisted Oliver, have you seen any of these people, the ones rumored from that eastern city? They come and go, I suppose. A couple of folk dressed like them rode in this morning, probably at the other end, unless they were just passing through. It was probably too late to catch them tonight, but that was promising enough. However, if they were just passing through, they'd likely leave at daybreak. He'd have to take his chances. Thanking Tom and finishing his beer, he took his cane and decided to make his way over to the other end. Oliver knew more than he let on. There was a garden city in the east, the name unknown, but the rumors of its majesty spread in whispers, and so did the name, Karis. Some claimed to have seen the Garden City with their own eyes, but none were allowed to enter. According to the hearsay, a denizen of the Garden City had to vouch for one's interest, the rarest of things. The rumors indeed circulated. Some believed the Garden City to be the last remnant of civilization other than the city itself. On one hand, reports said it was a city that survived the war, while others claimed it had been raised out of the ashes of the waste, a restoration of the old world. Yet, no one quite knew enough about it to say one way or the other. Such theories all agreed that entry into said city was near impossible, and so Oliver had left it alone, in spite of a deep desire to find it. But he had known better. He had known that his place was at Avian, and that it was better that he respected Karis's wishes to remain hidden. Through the dark streets, Oliver walked to the other end. In contrast to the dimmed and darkened windows of the shops and houses, the harvest ends light and laughter spilled into the street, the small taverns that nestled into a larger inn. Patrons sprawled across old wooden tables and chairs, their plastic renditions cropping up at random intervals. Among the leather vests and tweed jackets, torn and dirty from the outlands, two people sat apart at their corner table. Their dress told all, the silk and color standing out. Her tawny skin complemented his ebony complexion, and as they pushed their empty plates from them, Oliver approached, cane tapping on the splintering planks. He sat at their table, casually, ignoring the pain in his leg. 
Though they showed no surprise or puzzlement at a stranger's boldness, they remained silent as Oliver signaled for another round of drinks to be brought to their table, ordering water for himself. People spoke of their strange fashion, but to Oliver, their style and colors were familiar. She wore a sari, the customary wrapped linen dress from India. The men's fashion varied, but he wore a blue silken robe, unlike the homogenous outlanders, who were most often lighter-skinned. Most rumors from the Garden City spoke of those like this couple, colorful and exotic. They eyed him warily at first, but then sat in the awkward silence as the barmaid distributed three pints before them. Oliver took a large gulp of the water, gathering his courage, and then spoke. I hope, Oliver began, you'll pardon my rudeness. But the matter is urgent. My name is Oliver. He paused, giving them space to introduce themselves. I am Obi, the man said, and this is Lim. A pleasure to meet you both. You'll forgive me if I cut right to it. I need your help. I need to get to the Garden City. Obi appeared neither surprised nor upset. To Oliver's surprise, the man did not deny the existence of the city. Many seek passage to our city, he said, stern but not unkind. But we do not allow such things. But it's urgent. I must speak with Karis. I know her. That made their eyes widen. You know her? Lim asked. I do, replied Oliver. It's important that I speak with her. It is urgent, you say? Obi asked. Yes, allowed Oliver. It's sensitive information. How do I know you are not like the others that so often come to us? They know of a city and a lady, though not their names. They want her hand in marriage. They want to trade with us. They want our wealth. Oliver had hoped this would be easier, but this was not going well. Does the name Jacob mean anything to you? Limp startled, the smallest of flinches. That is an evil name. It is an evil name, Oliver agreed, and this matter concerns him. We are in danger. Obi held up a hand. This is not for us to decide. We have two more days here, and then we ride back to our city. We will discuss it with the Lady Karis, and if she deems the words of this man Oliver important, we will send word back to Brompton. There's no time for that, said Oliver, incensed by this man's mechanical, unwavering speech. There will have to be. We can make no exceptions. It is for our safety. Don't be a fool, Oliver said, exasperated. He held his tongue, trying not to show his temper. This is imminent. It's no matter for discussion. We need to act now. Don't you know the histories? Do you know what threatens you? We are well guarded, Obi said. Your walls won't protect you. Karis can't defend you against him. Not alone. And what about everyone else? What about the people of Bronton, of Novum? Limp tugged on Obi's shirt. If what he said is true, she said, then we would do well to heed his words. Our city has not prospered for 200 years because you have kept its rules. 
This very conversation is risky enough as it is. This man knows the name of Jacob, but it means nothing. He boasts the name Oliver like he is a hero come back from the dead. I do not trust him. Oliver stood, his chair scraping against the floor. He steadied himself a hand on the table as his legs spasmed. This is the biggest threat in 200 years, and you think protocol is going to save your city? I will do as I have said, and nothing more. Oliver took his cane, stomping out into the night. He was angry, in pain, and at a loss. One bureaucrat's stubbornness would doom them all. What did he expect? The plan would have to change. There was always Nathan wherever he hid, or perhaps he was destined to aid the boy in finding Dorian. It might take too long, but it was also the easiest route to discovering the other two angels. Or he could just wait for a response from the Garden City. He could follow Obi and Lem there and bang on its walls until someone opened it up. Perhaps it didn't even have walls. If only he could contact Karis. He let out a sigh, realizing his fatigue. At first light, he would talk it over with Liam. Two rested minds, a better alternative to his tired disposition. He had to admit that the beard got into him as well. He walked back to the inn, waving at Tom as he made his way to the room where he had his own bath before bed. The tumult awoke Oliver in the night. Cries of pain and calamity. Amber light flickered in through the window, and smoke filled his nostrils. Bronton was under attack. He rushed into the hall, a bustling of confused patrons, half drunk and asleep, stumbling in a panic from their rooms. To his relief, the inn itself was not a fire. He returned to the rooms to find Liam already rousing. They packed their things, Oliver's fingers fumbling over straps and drawstrings, fearful of an attack on the inn. Forget your sword, keep it sheathed. He told Liam, get your gun and remember how I taught you to hold it. Keep it pointed down and don't raise it unless you know you're going to shoot. Most of the inn was empty by the time they were headed out of the back door, pistols in hand. Warily, Oliver led them towards the stables, damning his need of the cane. Women and children cried among the blazing fires. Laughter and shouts of pain filled the night. Then came another sound. Gunfire echoing in the dark. Oliver cursed. This was getting bad. Though the alley itself was empty, Oliver had to step over the occasional body. The raiders had worked their way further into the town, seemingly victorious in taking it. Liam coughed behind him, choking on the dust and smoke, but they pressed on. Within a few minutes from the stables, a woman crashed through a back door. Oliver almost cried out, Lim! But a man stepped through the doorway, towering over her. With a slash of his knife, he cut her scream short. Oliver's shot rang out too late to save the woman. The man fell dead, but Lem lay on the desert sand, blood gushing from her throat. She reached out for them before her arm fell limp and her body lay in a pool of dark, glistening liquid. Oliver steadied himself on his cane and began to walk on, but Liam lingered, staring at the woman's body. There's nothing we can do. We have to go. But then Oliver stopped with a realization. This was the back door of the Harvest Inn. 
Hold on. He put his back to the building, peering around the doorframe. The fires cast ghostly shadows among the flickering light ever closer to their side of town. The gunfire sounded nearer as well. It was a wonder that the raiders who had already come through hadn't put it to the torch. Bronton had never been the target of raiders, yet this would be an unprecedented sacking of any town. This was either something big or an ill-timed coincidence, and given that the raiders had guns, Oliver suspected the former. At a glance, he saw lifeless bodies strewn about the room. He surveyed the bandit he had shot, a well-equipped man, not like the usual desert clans other than the bones he wore. Oliver looked back to the open doorway into the death and darkness. Follow me, Oliver told Liam, stepping into the back door of the inn. Watch behind us and watch the fires. They stepped over debris and bodies, and though no threat appeared imminent, they remained quiet as they climbed the stairs, each step a throbbing pain for Oliver. It had not hurt this bad in years. Decades, perhaps, but it bothered him now, the feeling that something was out of place and twisted inside him. He peered into each of the rooms, searching any sign of life among the torn and broken furniture. He almost didn't see Obi, his ebony skin difficult to spot in the dark, face down, unconscious. He felt for a pulse, finding the man to be alive, but breathing shallowly. He shook the man, hoping he would come too, but he didn't stir. This was Oliver's best hope for the Garden City. He shook the man again. Come on, he said. Footsteps thudded up the stairs behind him, and an unfamiliar voice shouted something before a loud crack shook the room. Oliver ducked to the ground, his ears ringing. He waited for the floor to cave in, for the collateral damage to splinter him. But it was still. He looked up, trying to still his heart to gain understanding. Liam stood at the doorway, gun before him, a stunned expression on his face. Two boots poked into the room, belonging to a body that had not been there before. I'm sorry, Liam said, too shocked. The poor boy probably had no clue that he'd have to kill anyone on this journey, much less this early on. You did the right thing. Oliver said, though if Oliver's ears were ringing, the boy was surely momentarily deafened. The man beside him stirred, Obi, coming awake. Lim, he said, dry voice. Nay, took her. I tried. I'm sorry, Oliver told him, helping the man to his feet. He looked into Obi's eyes and tried to push the urgency and panic from his mind. I'm sorry, he began again. They killed her. Obi shook his head. I killed the man who did it. Oliver said, more shouts rose anew, and it felt as if the room had grown brighter, that those twisting shadows were giving way to a new and malicious fiery flicker. The fires grow. We need to leave. Help me with them, Liam. The boy put the gun away, handshaking, and ran over to support Obi. They helped the disoriented man down the stairs, Oliver groaning with each step. When they got to the back door, Obi saw his wife's body, throat open, coagulating blood, seeping into the desert sands. No, he said, tears falling. They had to pull Obi away from her body. The stables had a few yards away from the row of buildings. They'd have to run into the open to get to the stables. They leaned Obi against the building and Oliver turned to Liam. 
Listen, he said, I'm going to cover you while you make a run for it. Get him a horse or a camel, whatever they have. Steal it if you have to. Now on my mark. Nays and hoofbeats came from the stable, beast nervous in the commotion. He hoped their camels were still in there. He glanced around the corner into the street. Few remained in defense against the marauders. It was all laughter and flames now, chasing down the stragglers and doing whatever it is they did to them. More gunshots echoed in the distance. Oliver signaled, and Liam helped Obi across the clearing, safely arriving at the stable. Oliver followed, gun in hand, Kane in the other, and then he was spotted. Through the distant flames, no more than ten yards away, a man emerged from the shadows. Oliver knew that thin, dark-haired man and his perpetual sneer. He met Raven's menacing, sadistic eyes with an equally cold gaze. Raven stalked towards him, and Oliver ran for the stables, almost falling from the searing agony in his leg. Raven would get to them long before they could even mount the camels, and he would take them to whatever horrors he had in store. Oliver had almost gotten into the stables, but the fallen was close as well. A shot resonated. Oliver recovered from his instinctual duck and saw that Raven had stopped as well, holding his arm back as black fluid seeped down it. And then Oliver looked to the door of the stable where Liam, cold and still, held his gun. He fired again and missed. That's good enough, Oliver told him. Let's get the hell out of here. They entered the stables and started to mount their camels. Obi had recovered enough to pull his own horse over where he made his own preparations. With the clatter, the stable door opened and two men rushed upon them, swords swinging. Oliver and his camel both almost took a hit, but the close quarters made it unwieldy and one blade locked into a piece of wood. Oliver's own sword flashed out and pierced the man up to the hilt. Liam stood off against a man who seemed unsure if the boy was capable or not. He never found out. Obi came up behind the man, wringing his throat before he could strike at Liam. After the tense moment that Obi strangled the assailant, the black man stood, chest heaving with deep breaths. Liam had gone back to shocked silence. Obi was barely dressed, and Oliver felt remorse that they had not taken some of his belongings with him. They had an extra change of clothes that might suit the man. They nodded to each other, a mutual understanding that they were escaping together. They secured their packs within minutes, and Raven was apparently too preoccupied to pursue them more. Liam struggled to mount his camel until Lucy finally complied, and they were all ready. Oliver unhitched the main doors, and they burst from the stables towards the southern border. The camels kept their composure as buildings crumbled, burning around them. Shouts followed as they exited the town, Raven's riders coming for them. Oliver grunted, twisting in a saddle, and fired a shot into the night. The raiders faltered at the threat of a gun, and their half-hearted pursuit died quickly. They rode for near half an hour, and then finally stopped, the camels, the horse, and the men weary. That was one of them, Liam said. One of the angels. It was, Oliver replied. And that was a damn lucky shot. He's terrifying, Liam said. The angels could have that effect on people. Raven looked like a small bony man, sickly and pale, but his prodigious presence even overwhelmed Oliver, who was accustomed to the angels and who physically dorked Raven by at least a foot. 
So it's true, Obi said. Oliver nodded. Take me to your city. I will take you both to Mir. I owe you my life. Not both of us, Oliver looked at Liam. The boy is from Novum and was sent to find Dorian. We part here. I can't do it without you, Liam said, fear in his voice. I need help. You're stronger and braver than you think, Oliver told him. How will I find you? If nothing else, I'll meet you at the pass, or I'll send someone to meet you and tell you where to find Mir. Liam accepted the terms reluctantly, only nodded his head. Godspeed, Obi said, locking eyes with Liam. Be careful out there. Into the night, they parted ways. The boy to find Dorian in the south, Oliver and Obi to Mir, the garden city in the east. <laughs>